Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we are in the middle of a study in the book of Revelation. We saw last time how Satan's plan is to achieve world dominion through his Antichrist, and he's been working on that since the Tower of Babel. And in the end time, his plan will come to a culmination uh, with the Antichrist. And Revelation chapter 13 actually describes at the middle of the tribulation um, the, the dragon, Satan, putting this plan into its, its final form. And at this time, he uh, is able to bring the Antichrist to a place of world dominion. And uh, that's what we're going to study now. And that actually is only going to last for three and a half years before Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. And so the Antichrist um, represents Satan's attempt to imitate God because um, there's a satanic trinity at work in Revelation 13 because corresponding to the Father God is the dragon, the invisible spirit. And then his representative on earth, instead of Christ, the visible representation of the Father on the earth, Satan has his Antichrist who is to exercise power for him in the earth. And then we'll also see a third character corresponding to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son and causes men to worship the Son. And in the same way, Satan will have this false prophet who will uh, play that role of glorifying the Antichrist and doing great wonders and miracles to, to cause people to worship the uh, the Antichrist. And so Satan is setting up his counterfeit kingdom, if you like, to, um, to claim men's hearts and to bring the whole world under his control. And so this is the kind of the climax of the spiritual battle of the ages, if you like, Satan's last attempt to do this. And um, we've seen before that this happens. Revelation 13 is set at mid-tribulation. The uh, seventh trumpet has blown once the abomination of desolation is set up in the kingdom, in the temple. And then there is a period of 30 days that Daniel 12 points to. And in these 30 days is when uh, uh, the Antichrist uh, establishes his world power. And he brings in the mark of the beast and causes people to worship him through the image of the beast. And that's what we're talking about in Revelation 13. And that will then set the scene for the last three and a half years, which are the worst time ever, uh, which will be brought to an end by Christ's second coming. So let's have a look at Revelation 13 as a quick recap here. Um, verse 1 to 10. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And this, the sea represents the Gentile nations, and so this beast rises up out of the sea, and it has seven heads. Now, each of these heads, they appear in turn, they represent a world empire. Then Babylon, that come out of the Tower of Babel originally, took on seven different forms over the ages, which are the seven world empires that dominated Israel. And, and so... You know, you've, you've got like Egypt and, and Assyria, um, Babylon and uh, Persia and Greece and Rome and so on. And, and the one we're really interested in is the seventh head, which is the final form of this beast. 
And so this, this beast has seven heads. And so in a minute, we're going to focus on, on this seventh head, that final form that it will, will manifest at, right at the end. And it says, and it has ten horns. And we, we saw before that these ten horns are actually on the seventh head, on that final head, because there's a confederation of ten kings. And the Antichrist rises up among them and becomes the supreme leader at that form. And those ten horns correspond to the ten toes of the image um, in Daniel 2 um, of, that final st of that statue, the final form of these world empires because the stone from heaven, that is Christ, comes down and hits the feet. That's the final form of that empire is the feet. Uh, and as a result, the, the, that statue is destroyed. The world empires of man are destroyed and Christ sets up his kingdom. The stone becomes a mountain that fills the earth. So anyway, there, there will be a final form of ten horns. And it says, on his horns, ten crowns. In other words, ten kings. And on his heads, a blasphemous name. This beast is against God. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. So in previous times, these, this, the leopard represented Greece, the, the bear represented Persia, uh, the, the lion represents Babylon. And so these were all previous forms of this beast. The dragon gave him his power. So Satan is, is empowering this beast, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. You saw there was a dual application of this because the head, if it's the seventh head, that it, it means that there was a head or an empire that seems to have fallen but then will rise again. And many believe this is the revived Roman Empire that will reappear at the end. Uh, or it could be an Islamic caliphate that, that has fallen, um, but now will be revived in the end. But it also refers to the Antichrist himself, I believe. He will have a death and resurrection. He will seem to have died, uh, but he has a resurrection. And as a result, the whole world follows him. Again, that's an imitation of Christ who died and rose again, and people realize that's because he's the Son of God and we worship him. But the devil will do the counterfeit with the Antichrist, and many will then follow the beast at mid-tribulation. And so it says, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So at this point, again, the world begins following after the Antichrist. And it says, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. So he has 42 months, 1,260 days of world power. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. To blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Those who were raptured a few years before. And so it says, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So he wages war. He's out to destroy the believers on the earth and because they're the ones who oppose this attempt to bring the whole world under this one world evil domination. Authority was given him over every tribe, tongue and nation so Satan gives him that authority over those nations as, as his ruler under Satan. And it says all who dwell on the earth or the earth dwellers will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
And so the issue is really, uh, is your name written in the book of life? Those who are unbelievers, their name is not written. They haven't accepted the blood of the Lamb. And as a result, they will, um, they will suffer eternal damnation. Then we learnt a bit more in Revelation 17, where the angel says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the, of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The same beast, but now it focuses on the woman, the harlot, that rides on top of this beast. We saw that this is a religious power that is controlling the beast. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And again, that's the Antichrist, death and resurrection. And all who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they saw the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here's the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains or kingdoms on which the woman sits. So each stage of the world empire had a state religion that, that was united to it. And it says there are also seven kings or kingdoms. Five have fallen. One is, the one is that was Rome. And the other has not yet come. That's the final form of the beast kingdom. When he comes, he must continue a short time, three and a half years. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So in other words, Antichrist will come out of the seventh head, but he will take over those the ten kings that is the initial form of, the, of that kingdom, and he will become the supreme ruler. And in a sense, he will bring in a new entity, uh, his one world empire, which is now called the eighth head, which comes out of the seventh head. Well, the ten horns, it says, which you saw are ten kings who have not received a kingdom as yet, but in other words, this is still in the future, but they receive authority for an hour as kings with the beast. So the beast will, will rule over these ten kings, and these are of one mind, and they give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So at the Battle of Armageddon, it is the ten kings under the Antichrist who fight against Jesus when they return. So this is the final form of the Gentile beast world powers. Then he said to him, said to me, the waters that you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, heat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And so this is basically saying that at mid-tribulation there will be some kind of religious system supporting the, that final beast empire. Um, whether it's an apostate Christianity or, or Islam, but at mid-tribulation what's going to happen is that the Antichrist will command the destruction of that harlot, uh, that religion, because the Antichrist now wants total power and he wants to remove any other worship so that all worship is focused on him, so that everyone worships him as God and then he will take that supreme power. So that harlot called Babylon is destroyed at mid-tribulation, and Antichrist brings in his own religion that's centered on himself. Well, next in Revelation 13, we see the measures that the Antichrist puts in place at mid-tribulation to establish his new religion, where he's now the center of worship, now that the harlot's been destroyed. Verse 11, we meet his right-hand man, the false prophet. It says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, or, or the land, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. 
Well, the Antichrist beast that came from the sea is a Gentile, but this beast comes from the land, and that symbolically means he's a Jew. The horns speak of authority and power. His appearance as a lamb points to him being a religious leader who initially appears humble and spiritual, but is deceptive, for he becomes, but that's deceptive because he becomes the dragon's mouthpiece, enforcing Antichrist's control on pain of death. Since the center of Antichrist's new religion is the temple in Jerusalem, it makes sense that the main religious leader is Jewish. And it may well be designed to bring the Jewish people into submission. Some interesting possibilities arise based on the fact that the devil counterfeits whatever God does and would try and use people's messianic expectations against them. So thinking of things from a Jewish perspective, the Jews are looking for a political messiah who will rebuild the temple and establish a worldwide kingdom of peace on the earth. Jesus predicted in John 5.43 that although Israel didn't receive him as Messiah, they would receive another who came in his own name. Thus Antichrist may present himself to Israel as the true Messiah and prove it by enabling Israel to rebuild her temple and by establishing a world government. That's exactly what the Jews expect the Messiah to do. After his death and resurrection, he'll proclaim himself to be God and claim their worship. Since the Jews know from scriptures that the prophet Elijah must come first, the Antichrist needs to have a miracle-working Elijah to prove his case, and that's exactly what he has in the Jewish false prophet, who performs the special Elijah-type miracle of calling fire down from heaven. That's in verse 13. Just as the real Elijah did uh, in, in, in the book of Kings and will do so again in Revelation 11.5 as one of the two witnesses. And so this counterfeit fire miracle is designed to authenticate him as Elijah, whose role is to prepare Israel to accept and worship the Messiah. So when this false prophet points to the Antichrist and tells everyone to worship him as God, this will be a convincing delusion for the Jews, who had previously rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Now, on the other hand, thinking of things from Islamic perspective, it's been pointed out how easily Muslims might accept the Antichrist and the Jewish false prophet because Islamic end-time theology is looking for the appearance of two men in the end times. First, the Mahdi, who is primarily a political and military leader, the final caliph of Islam, who will rule, according to their prophecies, the world for seven years, after which there's a day of judgment for the whole human race. And this caliph is actually both a political ruler and spiritual representative of Allah on earth. So that's the Mahdi. Secondly, they predict the coming of the prophet Isa, which is the Muslim Jesus, who has great spiritual power, who according to them did not die but went alive to heaven, waiting to return to fulfill an end-time role at the same time as the Mahdi. Islam expects the Mahdi to make a seven-year covenant with Israel, mediated through a religious leader in the high priestly line of Aaron, brother of Moses. This is a deceptive covenant, which is part of his greater plan to establish a worldwide Islamic empire, waging war against the Christians and Jews, killing them if they don't convert, especially targeting all Jews for death. They believe he'll invade Israel, capture Jerusalem, and establish it as his spiritual capital, basing his caliphate from the temple site, the third holiest site for Muslims after Mecca and Medina. Um, and, uh, and so it says that he will restore that place as a center of Muslim worship.
And so, if the Antichrist comes from the Islamic world and becomes a great caliph and does all the things predicted of him in the Bible, including establishing a worldwide religion based from the Temple Mount with him as supreme head and executing all who oppose his will, then surely the, the Muslims would submit to him as the Mahdi because he fits the bill, he ticks the boxes and they will have been prepared for this by their hadiths. One problem with the non-Islamic view is how Antichrist will persuade Islam to worship him. But this uh, can be understood from in the Islamic view um, very easily. Now, their belief in him, in the Antichrist, will be reinforced by the appearance of a Jewish prophet doing great miracles and commanding everyone to worship submit, in other words, absolutely to the Antichrist, for they have been conditioned by their prophecies to believe that Isa, the Muslim Jesus, who they accept as a Jewish prophet, who they claim never died, but was taken alive to heaven, um, their prophecies say that he will return in the end time to use his great powers, to use them to help the Mahdi to force the whole world to convert to Islam, and especially in killing the Jews. And so, they predict that this Isa will deny that he's the Son of God, he will break the cross, thus denying his death, and command all Christians and unbelievers to become Muslims. So when the Jewish false prophet appears, claiming to be Isa, doing great miracles, assisting the Antichrist as his right-hand man in establishing this one-world government and religion, headquartered from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, making everyone bow on pain of death to Antichrist's image uh, and take, taking his mark as a sign of their absolute submission to Islam and the authority of the Caliph and setting things up so that without the mark they can't buy and sell. When that happens, they will, it will seem to them that all their prophecies have come to pass when actually they've fallen into the devil's delusion and trap. So this is just a possible scenario that, um, that Satan will so present things that it will seem as if their prophecies are being fulfilled um, through the role of that false prophet. Um, it may be that the false prophet will be enabled to make both presentations of himself as Elijah to Israel and as Isa, the Islamic Jesus, to Islam because of the similarity of their backstories. You see, both were Jewish prophets, you know, Jesus and Elijah, who did great miracles. Both were taken up to heaven without dying. Both will return from heaven in the end time to help the acceptance of God's chosen political leader. And so he'll simultaneously satisfy the belief systems of both groups, confirming them in the delusion that the Antichrist is the Messiah and the Mahdi. For the Jews, the Messiah. For the Muslims, the Mahdi. Now this is just speculation. But it's just interesting to me how that could all shape up. To complete the Islamic inversion of the truth, we must mention a third character in the Islamic end-time scenario, their antichrist figure, the Dajjal, who has many strange things said about him. But some central issues are significant. He's a powerful enemy of the Mahdi. He does many miracles and healings. He claims to be God. He claims to be the Jewish Messiah. Uh, and therefore, many will believe, many believe uh, he'll claim to be Jesus by name. He rides at great speed around the world on a massive white mule, 
according to their prophecies, and he fights on the side of the Jews against Isa and the Mahdi, who are intent on destroying them. In these details, at least, it could be argued that the Islamic world is programmed to recognize the real Jesus as the Antichrist and so reject him. Thus there is a contrast of light and darkness where everyone will have to choose between two messiahs, Christ or the Antichrist, both of whom present themselves as the true messiah. But one difference is clear. They will, one will hate and systematically kill the Jews and all who resist Islamic rule. The other will come to save the Jews who believe in him. While the House of Islam has been pre-programmed to receive the first one as their hero, who is against the Jews, uh, and the second one as their arch enemy, who is for the Jews, actually the first is the false Christ, and the second is the true Christ. Now, whether the, the final beast will be a revived Roman Empire that's dominated by the religion of secular humanism, or whether it will be a revived uh, Islamic caliphate, obviously dominated by Islam, um, we shall see. Um, but also what's possible is a combination of these two, the Roman and Islamic views. And that's conceivable too. And it's interesting that in the Daniel 2 vision, it talks about iron and clay mixing together. Um, that could be the kind of um, iron of Islam and the, the kind of clay of secular humanism uh, somehow mixing together. They're totally different, but somehow they're joined. And we can see that happening even in Europe now through, through uh, Islamic inter, um, immigration into Europe and where that could lead to. And so a combination of these two views is possible. Um, for that to happen, certain developments uh, are required. For instance, one the scenario is either kind of continued great immigration and, of, and so that Europe becomes a mixture of Islam and secular humanism. And that would be accelerated by if Turkey joined the EU, for example. And so if the EU expanded to the east, including uh, other countries, uh, just as it did, like Turkey, just as the original empire did, um, then you could have these iron and clay feet in Daniel 2. And then again, simply by, by the birth rate that Islam has, uh, that Islam continues to grow in numbers and influence in Europe by immigration and population growth until it's in a position to take over or at least, um, you know, play a major influence. And so you could potentially have um, an Islamic antichrist that way, even within the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire as it is. And this process will be greatly accelerated by the rapture of the church, of course, which is when all true Christians are removed from, from Europe. And then that just removes a major section of the Christian population, just leaving behind the nominal apostate church. And the remain, and their restraining ex power they exercise against evil is also removed at that time. Um, and also the atheism is also shattered. Um, by these supernatural things that are taking place. So all of this would cause people to cry out for answers and certainties, which leaves Islam perfectly positioned to take over the empty shell of Europe, which by now has abandoned all its spiritual convictions in the name of pluralism, multiculturalism. Within a short time, Islam will have gained enough momentum for its leader, 
perhaps the Antichrist there, to stage a takeover of the institutions and claim absolute power of the empire. So that's another possible scenario, as I said. Now, Revelation 13 reveals the counterfeit satanic trinity. As the Father gives power and authority to the Son, so the dragon gives his power and authority to the Antichrist beast to rule on earth. As the Holy Spirit causes men to worship the Father and Son, so the false prophet causes men to worship the dragon and the Antichrist. As the Spirit leads men to worship the resurrected Son of God, the false prophet causes people to worship the resurrected Son of Satan. Let's read that. And he, the false prophet, exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, in his presence, in his name, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. That's the Antichrist. The real or apparent supernatural resurrection of the Antichrist after receiving a deadly wound confirms his messianic statement to the God-rejecting world, causing them to worship him as God. And this is confirmed by him manifesting godlike powers, along with the false prophet, using satanic signs and wonders to convince them in this delusion. And that enables him to claim absolute power over the world. It says, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and who lived. And so there's a spiritual battle going over. And if you don't accept Christ as the, as the true son of God, then one day, you will come under this delusion and you will be forced to worship the Antichrist and your eternal destiny depends on whether you love the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and you invite him into your heart and give your life to him then you'll be with him forever in heaven but if not the Bible warns about a terrible destruction that is coming your way Jesus said if you continue in my word then you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And on our website, oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk, you, you can find the, a way you can help us financially, and we would be so grateful. If you want to know more about end-time prophecy and the book of Revelation, can I recommend my big reference book called The uh, Panorama of Prophecy? over 600 pages and we've produced it in a large size version which makes it more enjoyable to read with a bigger print and uh, it's available uh, for 40 pounds and uh, this will be a book to to have for a lifetime of course if you want to pay a little less uh, you can buy the uh, the book in half this size in the a5 version and that and that will be I think 15 pounds so again take the word of God into you study it in depth and this will be a good place to really get the whole revelation of Bible prophecy thank you for watching you can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel you're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School Headington Oxford OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk 
or by calling 01865 515 086.